Avengers, assemble. In the wake of Endgame, some were lost, others regained. They're good. What happens next? Stay tuned, true believers, as we try to find out. Peter Melnick, graphic designer, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator, and I'm Eddie Wilson. Upstate New York radio announcer in the Sullivan Catskills, with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. Ready? It's time for a new episode of The Marvelists. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. I know that. I'm Eddie Wilson. You know that. I do. Knowing me, knowing you. Abba. Aha! There is nothing we can do. Are we just going to go into Abba references now? Because You, you did. Know, oh, I remember Waterloo. And before we get into the usual rigmarole of today's episode and not introducing our very special guest on the other end of the tin cannon string, because we ain't got none on this one. You you, you people have, at home have been spoiled for far too long. Go ahead. <laughs> like some food that's expired in the refrigerator? Exactly. You know, it's got that little, you know, you don't want that, you know? No. I ordered that food yesterday. Botulism. From a week and a half ago. And mold. Yeah. And now look at it. Green, white, puffy. And speaking of which, find us on social media and inflate those numbers. Where you go on Facebook at facebook.com slash... The Marvelous. Give us a like on there and make that mold bigger. Go on Instagram and Twitter at... The Marvelous. And give us a like on there and poke at the mold. That, that analogy is awful. That's swinging a miss, Peter. But I digress. Whoosh. Go on social media and find us there, like I just said. But listen to us on a wide variety of streaming platforms and listen to our plethora of audio content. Mm-hmm. And Some of which follows. When you do, be sure to check us out on TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, SoundCloud, Spotify. You name it. We're on an iOS or... RSS. Well, I'm trying to get into iOS devices or Android devices oh. that can wrangle... Woo-hoo! We just did a lasso for the audio you listening audience. You oh. tried. Yeah, I failed. The, the rope just landed on the record player and just like... You know. Minus the record. Exactly. <laughs> we don't have a penny sitting on that needle. But oh, no. we do have the availability on all of those streaming platforms. Wherever you can wrangle an RSS feed, you'll find us. And also, Eddie, be sure to listen to us on iTunes where you can rate, review, subscribe, and share. And again, Eddie. And. And Eddie. Again. Mm-hmm. Five stars, ice cream machine McDonald's, four stars, no. Streamlined. No endorsement intended, no compensation received. Anyway. Flatline. But. That's the flatline. I, I could, well, I thought we were going to be going in a heartbeat by John, Don Johnson. What year is that album, Eddie? Mm-hmm. What year is that out? 1986. God, you're wonderful. But I digress. Eddie. Peter. Today's episode, we are brushing off a favorite kind of topic of ours that we haven't done. Really? You're just flipping the pages? How, it's a book. It's a sir, book club episode. I'm not that boring to talk to. Why are it's, you reading books in the middle of all of this? But they're funny. Funny books, yes. Okay. You like to say that? There, I give you a reason to say it again. Oh, thanks, Eddie. You shouldn't have. This is the best birthday you know present a boy ever had in the like six months before his birthday. Four. Oh, you're counting. Less than four. Oh. And you're right. Oh. I shouldn't have. Oh. But anyway, on this episode, we've been talking in the past few months about a legendary comic creator. The King. Hail to the King, baby. To quote Bruce Campbell. Not Elvis. We are talking about... Not Michael Jackson. Jack. Of pop. Jack the King Kirby. Yep. I like how we're just talking over each other, but we... we you just like the smooth way you said Jack <laughs> the King Kirby. Yeah. Hey now. Hey now. Hank Kingsley. But one of the things is his body of work is massive. There are so many stories that he's told, and one of them is not really readily available unless you go to your local comic book shop or a convention when those were a thing. Dive, dive, go diving into those boxes. Yeah, you'll find this series, usually for pennies on the dollar, and it's, from my personal experience, there's a reason for that. But, I love the king. I have to preface it with this, because from my end of this, eh. <laughs> and again, 
it's all right to like a comic book. To paraphrase the boys from We Hate Movies, it's all right to like a movie, it's all right to like a comic book. If you like this comic, fine. If you don't, you don't. But the topic at hand for this episode, we're going to be talking... I'm more talking about the first two and a half issues because that's all I could go through before I tapped out due to boredom. And that's really saying something considering it's the king because regardless of anything, I love his artwork. I think his artwork is absolutely gorgeous and this series is an example of it. Did I even say the name of the series? I did not. Not yet. Captain Victory and the Galactic Rangers. And this is going to be more of an emphasis on the first issue. The reason I'm saying that is is because it says new, exciting, original, in defense of our galaxy, Pacific Comics, Collector's Edition, number one. So you know it'll be worth something. A dollar. That's what it's cover priced at. Captain Victory and the Galactic Rangers, 1981. And the thing about this series is it's very hard to find in terms of collected editions, because guess what, folks? It's never been collected. That's right. So it's more than hard to find. It's impossible. It's not really that impossible. You can I found almost the entire run on eBay and just a random seller on, uh, I found in Google Shopping somewhere. And, and also on mycomicshop.com. But this is a series not available digitally. It is not available in a hardcover or a trade paperback. It is not available... On a moat. It is not available on a goat or on a boat. It is not available any here. It is not available here. It is not available anywhere. You will not eat them. Sam I Yams. You are Peter. Last I checked. Okay. Eddie Wilson, oh to heck. <laughs> but one of the things about this is the it is not available. It was supposed to be re-released in, I believe, 2009 or 2008 through Image Comics. Because, as you can tell, Eddie mentioned at the beginning of this part, it's published by Pacific Comics. Have you heard of Pacific Comics? Well, guess what? They dead. They no longer exist. They're like the ice cream machine at McDonald's. They don't work either. Because they are not around. Different reason, just not exist. Exactly. And they also just don't want to make ice cream there either. Okay. Well, it's true. They made comics. But, with Captain Victory... It is uh, how many issues? I think 13, to, 13 issues with one special edition, correct? Yes, I believe the special actually came out before the 13th issue, but that's the whole run under Pacific. And it's one of those stories where Jack was approached at a convention, I believe, and by these comic book fans. And they said, hey, we love your work. If uh, We're making a comic company. If you, know, you ever want to maybe make a book with us, hey, probably won't do it. I'll do it. <laughs> And so he did. And I would actually like to borrow the book for a moment, uh, for a second, if I could read it. Right here? Right, right now? Right here, right now, yes. So Jesus says Jones. Jesus Jones. Thank you. <laughs> Reference this. Okay. Um, My not... point was proven, pretty much, as okay. I'm looking through this. See, is it a good book? Sure, if you like The Art of Jack Kirby. And it is a massive book. In terms of over-the-top ideas, gorgeous artwork, just all that. And the size of some of the panels, which become full pages, which become a two-page spread across both pages when you open up a couple of pages going into it kind of thing, yeah. Every trope that Jack Kirby is known for is prevalent in this. And unfortunately, one of the biggest tropes about Jack Kirby is he cannot write dialogue. And as someone who's a big fan of The King, I love his Fourth World stuff, however... Jack had an editor there. Jack had an editor when he was working at Marvel, both on his original fabled Fantastic Four run and his return to Marvel after his DC run. Like I said, unfortunately, does not have an editor for this. So you see the classic examples of truly clunky Jack Kirby dialogue, which is kind of a shame. But the reason I'm saying this is, if you remember me mentioning earlier, he worked for a company called Pacific, writing this book, doing all this stuff, for fans who are massive, you know, they owned, I think, a comic shop, I believe, but they were based on the West Coast doing their thing. They also had Kirby release a series which was six issues called Silver Star, and that was collected in 2007 by Image Comics. Would have really liked to have seen this collected just be, just mm. from a visual standpoint. It is an absolutely gorgeous book. I cannot stress that enough. This is one of those series where. If you want to hunt it down, absolutely hunt it down. It is affordable. It is very easy to come across. Although maybe, you know, now that we're mentioning this and potentially, you know, down the line, maybe Cartoonist Kayfabe will do a video about this where the Kayfabe effect is in full force. 
but it's a fairly affordable and easy book to find. I got the entire run for less than $30. For the most part, some of the issues were maybe a dollar, $2-ish, you know? Because yep. you go on sites like My Comic Shop where a book will go for $2.40. Why 40 cents? Hell if I know. <laughs> but it's it happens with this. And that's one of the things about this series that overall from a visual standpoint, again, it is all of the great Jack Kirby tropes. You see the Kirby crackles in full force. You see two-page spreads of gigantic machines and just over-the-top gleep-glop creatures. Yeah. It's pure Kirby. And if you're a Kirby purist like myself, from a visual standpoint, oh my God, is it cool to look at. One of my biggest complaints, though, is it has not been re-released in a trade or hardcover or even omnibus format where this book could benefit from brand new printing, clear pages, you know, crystal clean, crystal clear art. We have the newsprint instead, yellow pages now for both versions that we have. Yeah, no doubt. And it kind of takes away a little bit, although it does add that little bit of charm to it then. Yeah, it's ages coming through and stuff, but you know, you're not getting, uh, if you want to say, the clear Christmas of cr- Christmas. Sweet Christmas. Oh, Crisp, this is Christmas. Crispness of, it would, if it was an original and well-preserved copy printing. Yeah. And what, you know, I do enjoy how this looks from a visual standpoint. And I keep saying that because that's my biggest takeaway from this series. Unfortunately, this book, like I said, I could only go through the first two and a half pages, or two and a half issues, sorry, not pages. I did read the first two issues, I assure you. I'll take your word on it, okay. But it's very much a clunky kind of story where characters are introduced and you really don't get to establish time with them. Like Clavis, for example, is there. From the beginning, as our lightning lady and the tiger, or I put in parentheses, IGR for the, the uh, vehicle, the ship, you have the world killer introduced, the insectons. The thing that got me, uh, sorry, Mr. Mind, a.k.a. Egghead. But the thing that got me from the beginning that I felt like I was just trying to drop into it was that we find that Captain Victory has transferred to another body. And the, the reference is, cool. is made. Well, the reference is made that it's like his 10th one. And that's in just this first issue. It, it reminds me of uh, the original canon in Star Wars where, you know, now it's considered legend with what's his name? Uh, the Emperor where his body just keeps getting cloned over and over. And I guess, I think they did that in The Rise of Skywalker, but I really didn't pay much attention to that movie. Okay. But with, you know, I think it was the Dark Empire story where he keeps getting cloned over and over. And again, I just find it funny. Star Wars is stealing from something with Jack Kirby because eventually years down the line, like I said, Dark Empire, that happened. Cloned bodies for the Emperor. Mm -hmm. Hey, Kirby thought of it New cloned bodies for the Emperor. No, wait, that's New Clothes. Sorry. Exactly. Something else. And a new, a new Groove. A New Groove. Good movie, by the way. Emperor's Dave, New Groove. David okay. Spade. Well, the only other thing I really took note of uh, to come back to this when we did discuss this work of Kirby is uh, the end page, are the end pages, where you get a breakdown, about a half page each of, for example, the small arms, the uh, soldiers, if you will, in the galactic arsenal. You get a special section troops breakdown. And also these um, galactic military insignias. I love that. And I think mm-hmm. it's this is Kirby's precursor to what would eventually be commonplace in comics with the quote-unquote director's cuts that come out, which I've always found to be you know a silly phrase for a comic book, but it's understandable because it's supplemental material. It's helping you get a better understanding of the world that you know Kirby's trying to build in here. And... It reminds me of like when you read a J.R.R. Tolkien book, you know, The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, or, you know, Frank Herbert's Dune books. You see maps, you see this, you see that. And it helps you get a better understanding yeah, of Yeah, bigger this. picture. In fact, I think I have to edit myself and say with the small arms, now that I'm actually looking at the page, you get introduced to some of the weaponry. That is, uh, that includes the Baby H bazooka, the magnetic mind thrower, and the sun gun, for examples. That's very much a rhyming kind of gun. Sure, absolutely. But one of the things about this series, again, is the visuals. And it's if you love Kirby drawing technology, this is the book for you. Because Kirby draws a machine that probably has no purpose whatsoever to look as cool as humanly possible. Huge. Exactly. (laughs) 
and it, possibly big. Like how many? It's like the space version of Noah's Ark. I don't know. One of the things about this that you know makes me enjoy it is like you know the ship, the Tiger, which is basically like a Imperial Star Destroyer from Star Wars. Just you know shows up and can disappear at will. If I read that correctly. Uh, I think it is possible Good. <laughs> because there are dis- disconnects for sure in this run. I thought was interesting, too, is on the back of several, I'll, I'll go through and see if there's anything different, uh, the back cover, the outside back cover, kind of continues with more Kirby drawing and writing. Yeah, pinups. And more more stuff as if you were to rip this apart and just hang them up separately. In fact, you a, while, a long while ago got me a small mini poster of a Jack Kirby art, art, yeah, from uh, two thousand one Space Odyssey. Yes, there you go. Um, Which again, another Jack Kirby series that has not been collected, and probably, let's be honest, people probably never will be, because so much legal uh, mumbo jumbo. It's an MGM movie, you know, property and everything, and Disney does not own MGM yet. And you think about it. The 2001 Space Odyssey series features uh, MGM-style characters, yet introduces a character that's a part of the Marvel mythos, Machine Man. So uh-huh. now you you got peanut butter in the chocolate, and you got chocolate in the peanut butter, and you got a whole lawsuit going on potentially with a mouse. <laughs> and mice don't like mouse traps, Eddie, but they love peanut butter. No. That's a good way to get a mouse and kill it. Oh. Just remember that. Okay. I got it. Good. Well, you have cats, Keep though, it. so you're fine. Uh, thank you, yes. No, Well, it is plenty of mess, depending on the situation. Well, I think I, I honestly didn't have any notations. I wasn't sure if I would be making notes on each issue that I read because, number two, I didn't take anything down, but I see that we're interacting. Captain Victory and his uh, rangers are interacting with Earth people, with the sheriff of the local town that's there. So there's a little bit of that going on in the whole alien uh, component aspect of it. Otherwise, nothing majorly noteworthy, in a sense. Happens throughout the series. Uh, yeah. I'm not trying to be that kind of guy, but like, that just, that seems like a real letdown because you make this event, this whole series, you want big things to happen. And again, when you are working for a major comic company, like a Marvel or a DC or a Dark Horse, you're working for a comic company and you're given an editor, depending on the type of title you're working on. So like, let's say you're working at Marvel and you're working on a Star Wars title. You have editors there who help you along the way with your idea. Oh, no, you should do this, this, or this. Oh, no, you should do this, this, this. Why aren't you doing this? Do this. Or I like what you're doing here. Do this. But when you're working on an independent title, you have to hire your own editor. So okay. if you're working for Image Comics, for example... You hire your own editor. Otherwise, you're your own editor. And you can go and say, oh, well, I think this is great. I think this is great. Sometimes you need that level of quality control. And unfortunately, Kirby did not have that with this series in terms of the writing component. In regards to the visual component, again, I cannot stress it enough. I'm not trying, you know, trying to be like, please, guys, believe me, believe me. It's really, it is really gorgeous to look at. And it's a shame because... Some people will complain out there about the Jack Kirby Fourth World stuff. Personally, I really like it. It can be a bit of a challenge to get into. If you're reading the Fourth World stuff in the reading orders that you'll see online where they'll go, all right, I want you to read two issues of Jimmy Olsen, then I want you to read New Gods, then I want you to read an issue of Forever People, then three issues of Mr. Miracle. No. Re- so this is, this is the Peter cut. It's like the machete cut, but it's the Peter cut. You're going to be reading... The entire run of Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen by Jack Kirby. Then you're going to read The Forever People, all 11 issues or whatever. Then you're going to read all the issues of The New Gods. Or no, sorry. Yeah, then The New Gods. And then you're going to read every issue of Mr. Miracle. And you're done. That's all you need to know, really. Hmm. And it's fun. It's a fun ride. But, like I said, Jack had editors. And editors are some of the most important people in the realm of comics. Look at Tom Brevoort and how he's helped manage to create events in the Marvel mythos that hold up pretty damn well to this day. You remember this little event called uh, Civil War? Yeah. You know he's responsible for that. Uh-huh. You remember the Ed Brubaker run of Captain America where Bucky came back from the dead? Mm-hmm. He's helped, he pushed in many directions for that. 
And yeah, there were editorial fights, as you can document on our previous episode, available in the archives. But, for the most part, it was also Tom's putting his foot down and saying, and his hat down. Nice hat. Yes. But putting his foot and his hat down and saying, no, let's try this. And then the writer can be like, okay, let's, you know, work around that, maybe like find a compromise. Unfortunately, when you're working in a level like Kirby is, and also, this is a time when comic fans are starting to get the sense of idolation of Jack Kirby when he's coming around saying, I'm going to write a comic. You want to write a comic for us? Yes, and I want to draw it. Anything you say. It's that. <laughs> it's the idolation. It's all of that. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Unfortunately, sometimes you have to take your fanboy hat, take it off, and be and put your editor hat on and be like, no, I want to see it like this. Because if you want something good, you want something good. You know, you don't want to have bias in the way of like, I don't care if the story sucks. Jack wrote it. No. Or Jack drew it. No. You, you, want, you want quality. And that's just me. Now, Eddie, you've heard me ramble over and over incessantly about how I feel about the story. What did you, you read all of the issues. I did, and in, in pieces, and that's just because of a time component. Couldn't sit down and, and keep on going. I'd like to ha, like to have had done that. But it, it does become, to me, disjointed and, and tough to continue to follow along. Um, and, you know, and that's why the notations are here for each subsequent issue. Now, Which is good. There's stuff that you may or may not have, even though you didn't physically go through the run, missed or didn't know about, so maybe I will be able to enlighten you in a little bit uh, here and there. Well, before you do, how long were some of the breaks you would have in between issues? I couldn't tell you. Could day, some of them be day, days? Sure, sure, no question. And that can be a bit of a problem because you may not remember what happened in the previous issue. That happens with me mm-hmm. all of the time. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're reading issues back to back to back to back. Yeah. I'm currently going through a reread of the uh, Ultimate Spider-Man from 2000 and 2001. I plowed through 17 issues so far, mm-hmm. and it still holds up just as well, and it's still as ultimate and fantastic and spectacular and web of and Marvel team up as it was before. Friendly. Neighborhood, even. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so, continue. Well, when we get to issue number three, we, I think, have kind of established that Lightning Lady is uh, the villain in opposed to Captain Drake. she was established in the first issue, Eddie. Uh, for now, for sure. But it seems like Captain Victory's got her, you know, subdued, captured, whatever it is. He, he carries her at some point. Uh, later on, by the time the fourth issue, he she tries to seduce him. Doesn't work. Are you trying to seduce me, Mrs. Robinson? There you go. Then uh, the character of Egghead, who does manifest some kind of powers to... Um, kind of tamed down Lightning Lady to whatever power she had down to these harmless stings. And you're not sure, I think, I couldn't get a good sense of where Egghead was going with his character. Being good, being, trying to be a a leader in this group does become one of the Rangers. And we get to the back of this issue and we find that those uh, inter-insectons are hypnotizing the human workers in the chant of, we are one with the hive mind. That's part of the opposing force, if you will, to Captain Victory and the Galactic Rangers. And there is, in this third issue, a four-page extra of Ms. Mystic, something by Neil Adams. And this is one of the things I like about this era of comics, where it's... this. I think this is around the time, or right before Jack Kirby teamed up with Steve Gerber to do... Destroyer Duck, and it's the whole sense of all of these guys teaming up together, creating content, and you know helping each other out because it's the real recognizing real element of all of these guys. They know this guy is the shit. They know this guy rules. This guy's you know the king. Let's all work together and help each other out. Yeah, and I'm definitely a fan of seeing this, and it's creator owned characters where. Jack Kirby, to this day, owns the rights. Well, his his estate owns the rights to Captain Victory. And one of the things about that, by the way, Marvel put out a Captain Victory comic mm-hmm. in 2007, 2008-ish under a different imprint. But it was like one of the creator-owned imprint companies. So that was okay. Yeah. Because it's creator-owned. Right. Oh, okay. Just like Epic back in the day where you have like things like the Star uh, 
Jammers or not Jammers, Star Riders or something with Walt Simonson. The one we keep, uh, yeah. The one we always forget the name keep of. Keep coming back to, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But we see all of these characters and again, it's creator owned and it's all of these guys teaming up together to give it a shot. Well, on a tangent also, speaking of Star, the uh, company Pacific Comics, of course, will be publicizing their other titles that are out there. And one of them is Star Slayer, the log of the Jolly Roger. Can't tell you really anything about that. Different different artist does. Oh, Mike Grell. That's who uh, we have on this imprint or on the cover for issue number two, which is on the inside cover of Captain Victory number three, if you can follow that. And I did actually recently see a comic book store doing a run of Star Slayer. And I forget if it was only about five or so issues, but I think it was somewhere at least around 10 or more dollars. And I wasn't sure if what what the value or what the if that was a good price to possibly just get into that to, to that run and one of the other things about these issues that i get i get an absolute kick out of is this is one of the very first comic companies that sold exclusively at comic book shops they didn't sell at a 711 they didn't sell at you know a liquor store none of the typical spots where you would buy a comic back in the day these were specifically sold to specialty shops comic book specialty shops and I got a kick out of looking through the map of all, well, not the map, but like the listing of all of the shops by state. And I recognize two names in New York. One? <laughs> you recognized one? No, I was going to say I'm numbering for you. One? I recognize two. One, the first one was, let's see, Forbidden Planet in New York City, which has had a variety of locations. And the other one two. Is, one of the longest-running comic shops I've ever been to, October Country Comics in New Paltz, New York. So to be able to see that, you know, this book has been around for that... Like, these shops have been around for that long that they had ads in this book is mind-blowing. So that's over 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. Over 40. For, well, make almost, it 40, 40 now. now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, let's let's go rewind back a little bit about the character of Captain Victory you know, his origin and everything, the publication history. If we go to Dr. Wikipedia, one of Pacific Comics' first titles, the original run of Captain Victory and the Galactic Rangers lasted 13 issues, plus a special through January 1984. Which is kind of funny. It's like it's a very sporadic release schedule. Because you come out in, you know, or about 14 issues over the course of 81 to 84. Yeah, it's very sporadic. Mm -hmm. But it made sense considering, you know, Kirby... If you you have read Tom Scholey's a Jack Kirby book that has recently come out and is available in comic book and bookstores near you. It talks about how as he was getting older, it was harder and harder for him to do work. And this was an example of this. And it's a shame, but, you know, it's a given that that would happen. And a lot of companies, it says, in the last issues of the Pacific series, Kirby crafted an origin story for Captain Victory, which tied into the New Gods comic, that had been written and drawn for DC in the 70s. It suggested that Captain Victory was the son of Orion of the New Gods. Orion was not specifically named, but a number of clues were planted, including equipment said to belong to Captain Victory's father that was identical to the Astro Harness written by Orion in the earlier series. Additionally, Captain Victory's grandfather, Black Mass, was illustrated only as a cast shadow, but a shadow that to many readers bore a resemblance to Orion's father, Darkseid. Nope. And at the end of Pacific, no more was seen of Captain Victory until Topps Comics attempted to revive the character as part of a five-issue miniseries, which only lasted one issue. Oof. Before Topps canceled all of the Kirbyverse books in 1994, this issue was part of a more complex project called Secret City Saga. Yeah, well, though, yeah, Secret City and I forget the other one or two Kirby titles that were there, but I think they ran at least three or four each issues. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, fast forwarding, because they also tried re-releasing the book in the early aughts. And in March 2006, I was off by a year, it was announced that a new series would be published based on recently discovered initial and rejected character sketches for the Wonder Warriors. Jack Kirby's Galactic Bounty Hunters was co-written by Jack's daughter, Lisa, and is co-owned by her under Marvel's icon imprint. So a creator-owned company. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's it's kind of funny to see these characters involved in a Marvel-owned company, but creator-owned, but being these characters' descendants of DC characters. I love comics so much. (laughs) Lawyers don't, but I do. Uh, 
Yeah, they have to deal with the uh, the harder end of it. And it's it's one of those things where should this book be up there in the pantheon of Kirby's best-known creations? And to be completely honest, from a visual standpoint, sure, but... That's it. It's, no, yeah, you don't really need to, like... When you think of Kirby, give me three titles of his that you think of instantaneously. My first, as I've said in up previous episodes, was Devil Dinosaur. But, yes, Machine Man is in there as so well. Uh, Black Panther. Okay. Other people, you know, I, my immediate reaction is the Fantastic Four, Captain America, Avengers, the heavy hitters. But, like, that's what I think of when I think of him. But then, you know, you go further. Fourth World Saga, you go with, let's see, what else? Um, 2001 Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Eternals? Eternals, of course, yeah. And just, like, again, Black Panther, all of the heavy hitters. And unfortunately, this cannot be one of them. And it's a shame because it's one of those times I would love to see the king go off and do something of his own without, you know, editorial interference. But I guess the king did need editorial interference to coagulate a story of much coherence and importance. And it is definitely an interesting artifact in the realm of Jack Kirby's work. Would you say so? Yeah, it's definitely, the artwork is definitely, like you say, visually striking. It's trademark. And if you have seen the man's work in one way, shape, or form, and then you see another that you hadn't encountered before, oh, wait, I recognize this artwork. And that's how you start to come to know and understand and remember who the person is. At least in, in its basic, most rudimentary level for me. That's how that applied. And I took to it. And there's just oh so much about this that, yeah, there are its problems, but it is something – it's not a I, – I hate saying it like this, being on like such a downer for this, but is this a recommend recommendation from me from a written standpoint? Hard pass. Absolute hard pass. But if you're a Kirby aficionado like myself or Eddie, go for it hunt down the run because it, it, this is going to be the only way you can find it, which that, is a shame. Yeah, no, that I've come into. And it was just a casual thing where I said, oh, Jack Kirby did this. Oh, I'm going to pick up this one and this one. It's not continuous, but it's a couple of them. And maybe at some other store when I have time to go digging in the dollar boxes, I'll find more. And that's what wound up eventually happening. And about $20 later, I had the run. Yeah. You had the runs? No, I knew you were going to pluralize it and say, no, don't you dare. But See, there's where we should get a plop, plop, fizz, fizz. And oh, fizz. what a relief it is. Look at that pink fluid going on, yeah. But Pepto-Bismol. Yeah, I know. Oh, no, it's not. It's Alka-Seltzer, Eddie. I... Mm. You said segwayed you one to the yeah, other. Yeah. Oh, we're going to ride segways. You're going to go through a mall. Plop. A mall? Yeah. Paul Blart. Mall, mall cop. cop. But one of the things about this that I will say. Yes, you will. It's got a lot of heart to it. It is the typical thing about Kirby's work. It has a lot of heart. And there's... There's a lot of action. There's a lot of stuff going on that it's not just sitting there and being like, okay, just read. And, you know, you're, you're trying as a reader to grasp and see where things are going. In some cases, you get partway through the action, the, the story that's kind of unfolding, and it kind of changes up somehow that you're not sure where it's intended or needed to go or maybe... St- could stuff have been edited out? Sure. Possibly it could have gone on further, but all factors considered, this is what we were left with. So, um, you know, and we get to issue, I'm not going to try and really, really drive this completely home, but just for the sake of saying what other things are uncovered here, you get to uh, introduce or be introduced to the Fighting Airborne and the Kirby backup feature in this fourth issue, the Goozle Bobber. As uh, the character of Egghead, I know, really, takes a head count and says, I see a Grummel, a Zindo, a Yarp Palkinkos, a Yarp Palinkos. That's it, a Yarp Palinkos. I don't know, where's your Yarp Palinkos? Are you just reading Frank Zappa lyrics? And where's the Goozle Bobber? In a suburb near Scranton, in the bedroom of two kids. Oh, I love The Office. That's that's how that uh, fourth issue is presented to us. And you get a feature back page of Major Clavis in a full-on hubba hubba figure shot. 
figure shot edits it. Okay. As opposed to a rim shot. Now, overall, so let's give our, you know, general opinion of this. Like I said, overall, I do give this series a hard pass. Unless you're a Kirby aficionado, go for it for the visuals. Because, like, Eddie just pulled up a cover in his right hand. That, the one underneath. Yeah. That is a cool-looking cover. That's the cover they use. This is number six. They use number six, the shot of Captain Victory screaming with the Kirby crackle surrounding him on the cover of the Two Morrows book, Stuff Said, the Stan and Jack Kirby History of Marvel Comics. Oh, that's what I think I have on order. And, again, it, it's just so cool to be able to see these covers. It is the bombasticness of Kirby. It is the over-the-top visuals and superb inking, colors, everything. Because every, cause, yeah, it's it's the headshot of Captain Victory. He's screaming, his mouth wide open, eyes aglow. And all around him, it's like everything is blowing up around him in a circular type of a pattern. Yeah. What I kind of uh, looked at in, in everything and trying to absorb as much as I could with it was that it maintains the same, even though it's a jumbo, 48-page issue, number six, it's still the $1 price. Yeah. For what the end, and what a bargain, Eddie. Part of the title, part of the bottom, saying victory is sacrifice, and we do maybe need to mention also that that uh, that mantra, that three part mantra. The first part, I believe, being victory is sacrifice. Gobble gobble gobble. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jeez. And <laughs> and this is where we do also get introduced to the Wonder Warriors, four characters on a big two page spread, and the featurette, of course, the Goozlebobber again. Language and. A little tease or a preview page of The Missing Man, Steve Ditko, in that. Well, Steve Ditko passed away. He definitely is missing. Too soon? (sighs) Yeah. And on the front cover of issue number seven, there are your Wonder Warriors. And um, you're introduced to them. uh, Finarkin, the Fearless, Bloody Marion, Paranex, the Fighting Fetus, and Ursan, the Unclean, who I think we have a little more... Involvement with Ursan later on in the series. Uh, again, would you would you recommend this series? I'd be on the fence about this. Really, that's a first. Um, I'm you know it's neither it's neither here it, it's it's not a definite yes for sure for a collector yeah for for an enthusiast of Jack Kirby yeah it would be otherwise you wouldn't lose by not knowing encountering. Okay, it was something else that he did. Captain Victory, yeah, I know the name, that's it, and here we go. Zap out, a term that comes up in issue number eight, as in leaving Earth. And then we get to, was it issue number nine? No, we'll get up to that in a second, uh, to, to number to number ten, which what is What a the way to close it out. <laughs> big surprise issue. What's a surprise? It's on the front here. It's... It's a big surprise I, I, issue here. It's in Polis this week. I just love, in this issue number 10, the character of Taryn saying to Captain Victory, I say bull chips in your cereal, sir. I guess he was kind of ticked off. But that's what they said. That Well, that's the way Jack imagined this character saying something there. I love that about Jack. Like, he'll use those little corny lines, and then all of a sudden in real life he's just like, It was an effing massacre! Yeah, but yet on the... And I in love the, that. And on the cover of each of these issues... I think without exception, there's some kind of a title, and in this case, a number 10. Nobody in this cosmos has the power to disobey the voice. And that's going to be your hook and to, uh, to take you in kind of thing. When we get to issue 11, it's the beginning of a never-to-be-forgotten origin issue. So big that it goes to issue 12 with origin 2 and issue 13 with... Origin 3, the Origin Trilogy, Beyond which will conclude. Did you, did you remember it, other than without the notes? Somewhat, yes. So mildly memorable. It, it, does go, it does go back and see how Captain Victory uh, got his training and as a, as a boy was in a position of where he needed to prove himself to kill someone or not. He and, shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. Yeah, and, th- and therefore, um, you know, become... What would lead to be his becoming a ranger? Um, we see him ride what another famous, I believe, Marvel character, Captain Victory, rides a, a scooter device, which I think either I don't know if Galactus actually did, but I th- believe Thanos, in some similar vehicular open air thing. I have you know the Cosmos in my head and and a surfer character 
Maybe it's Blastar, for all I know, that uh, that was riding in one of these two. Open air, no no helmet, no, you know. No, he- no helmet laws are not a thing. Yeah. I'm always thinking in terms of uh, oxygen, to have, having a helmet for that. But there was one other part, too, because... Uh, that there's no safety in space? I believe his uh, his, his trainer was, was Argus Flane, wearing the... Uh, he's a captain. Wasn't he's he got on the Vaudeville? eye patch. Who? There was there was a part of this that I need that I thought uh, would be worth to to pass on in terms of uh, reading a co- kind of like a lot of the Marvel comics did especially in the seventies is give you the two or three line origin at the top of the Which issue. I've it's, always liked about that in like certain comics, especially seventies ones. And to be honest, when we you know we'll do our movie review episodes whenever you know whatever decade we get back to doing those again, the thing I like about them. It, you know, you'll do your little uh, intro, the you know audio package, and you'll include that because it you know it's a way of tying it all back together. That's you know, to the source. I love right, that. Right, and you know it's done in comics nowadays, but in that way, that was the distinctive way it was done. And Stanley presents, and in a different font. I also love that you would always say Stanley presents. <laughs> well, when I love necessary. that you included those. To be oh, honest, yeah. Well, that was that was it, and you remembered um, you and everybody listening who read comics knows that's that's how it was. But here, with issue number 11, in the beginning of The Origin, which lasted three issues, it reads... That's a long origin. <laughs> Outcasts, misfits... i start over. Caroline, Caroline. Outcasts, Caroline. misfits, pariahs, oh. scapegoats. Somewhere along the line, they became what they are, non-heroes who believe their enemies don't want to kill them. Thus we get... Captain Victory and his Galactic Rangers. I'm sorry, I'm confused. That kind of took a twist over on itself, and I'm looking at the inside of I don't know the back of me or something. An M Night Shyamalan-ish twist. With a twist, twist of lemon, yes, or lime, whatever yeah. that goes. Yeah. Okay. So you would say overall, though, for this series, a pass from you as well. It could be a pass. If you have other pressing things that you really want to get to and get into. <laughs> I'm not saying if you have nothing else to do to read this, but if you really want to, you want to delve into it some more. And, Which is and more see. of a priority, washing your hair or reading this book? Well, now, washing your hair. Okay. I mean, you keep the two separate from each other. It's just, a, it's just a hygiene thing, and you don't get comics wet. After midnight. That's it. Yeah, yeah, Mugwai. Mm-hmm. So the reason also we are doing this book for the book club and because, picking this particular creator, Eddie. But well, let's not forget about the special. Oh, the, spe- well, the I'm special. Well, I'm trying to close out the show, Eddie. Yeah, I know. But they did just do one change as far as the cover prices when they went to issue 13 and went from a dollar to a dollar fifty, and so was the special Highway where robbery. Captain Victory and his Galactic Rangers became essentially uh, space, they became essential workers, space musketeers, and the Q bomb is ticking and growing. It must be organic, and it grows until it blows. <laughs> Sorry, time and space receive us both. That's about the end of it. And I don't think uh, at the end, the last characters was it Louis the Thirteenth, King of France in the year 1642, saying, "Let's pretend this visit never happened." Now that you would probably looking at me say, "Oh, that's appropriate for thinking of the whole run." Sure is. Uh huh. Let's pretend this never happened. I'm sure. But different from what would come later. I know you mentioned 2008, 2009. But something off on a tangent is that I happen to pick up from uh, Dynamite Comics and from the pages of Kirby Genesis, there's a Captain Victory story that was picking up a different storyline with Alex Ross. And I've been wanting to on the track cover, those down. And I don't know where it took off from after this first uh, this first issue. They were mainly uh, six-issue minis on oh, average, okay. which is, you know, for an event comic such as this, it's it's expected, but I would have preferred, like, maybe, you know... One of these characters could actually become something. Narrator, they did not. But so buttons. Hey. So so. So so studio. But Wow, thanks, Phil Collins. Anytime. But one of the things the reason we're doing this episode is it is a bit of a taste for something that's gonna be coming down the line starting this month. This month is Jack Kirby's birthday. I believe it is going to be, yes. It is gonna be on August twenty eighth, the king's birthday. And got me to thinking, I think we should start celebrating the king's birthday. 
And by doing so, we are going to be doing something that a few of you out there have been saying, why aren't you doing this yet? Why aren't you doing this yet? We have an audio engineer by the name of John who has repeatedly said, why aren't you, guys- you doing this yet? Exactly. Not quite like that. Why aren't y'all doing this yet? Well, that too. But ladies and gentlemen, on August 28th, <laughs> we will be launching a monthly book club available only on Patreon.com. Yes, we are going into the Patreon format because if you like this show, show support, drop a couple bucks your way, and we will reward you with multiple things. And one of those things is Fantastic Voyage. Fantastic Voyage is going to be our monthly exploration of the Stan and Jack saga. Run. Well, yeah, run, saga. saga run. Well, walk, don't run. Of the 1961 run, starting, of the Fantastic Four. And, by the way, for the record, the name of the show, Fantastic Voyage, came to me from, and I'm not kidding, Listening, Bad dinner. Listening to the Coolio song, Fantastic Voyage. One of the things is, you know, Fantastic Voyage. And I'm going to be asking John as he hears this, John, I'm putting you in charge of making the theme song for the show. You're going to be utilizing Fantastic Voyage by Coolio for our show. And include sound clips of maybe the 1960s Fantastic Four show, you know. Sneak in a little bit of the uh, 2005 one, but no, no, no on 2015 Fantforstic. All right? That's that's how we give John notes. Pretty awful, isn't it? Feel for the kid. Your mission, should you decide to accept it. Now, one of the other things with this is it's gonna be, it's obviously going to be a book club. We're going to be talking about it, but we're doing things with our own unique take. We'll be, of course, including the usual dad jokes and incessant puns that you all love. Thank you. (laughs) But we're also doing other things in there. We're going to be including, you know, audio montages and stuff like that, which Eddie is the master of, let's be Mm. honest. And we're going to be talking about things like, for example, let's say a book comes out on August 5th, 1961. We're going to be doing our homework for this one. What movies were coming out that week? What was the number one movie in the country? What was coming out that week? We play tra- like clips of trailers within copyright reason. We're also going to be utilizing different things such as what were the top songs in the country? And Eddie's going to have a lot of fun with that one. I know that. Yeah, I got this. Oh, yeah. That part, anyway. And all sorts of fun. Fun, like stuff like, you know, what's going on Beach in the Boys. news. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a lot of stuff in regards to the evolution of a country. So you're going to be seeing the evolution of the Marvel brand but also the world in general. Going from, you know, very dapper, nice and clean to the hippies of the 1960s. To the country, to the world, you're boundless now here. We'll figure this out. To the universe and beyond. To infinity and even. Okay, fine. But there's going to be a lot of cool stuff, and we hope you join us on this fantastic voyage. So wear a jacket if it's going to be cool. And we'd also like to give a big thank you to Rick Lopez, the artist of the artwork that will be featured on the show. Every episode, it's going to include the little artwork drawn by him, featuring myself as a Mr. Fantastic slash whatever type. Hey. Eddie as the thing. And I'm sorry, like that was the one, my one requirement. Eddie had to be the thing because Eddie is very recognizable with those glasses. And I feel like that's... You you are him in a way because you have catchphrases. Think about it. Uh, okay, fine, but I don't look like the big orange you don't, rock monster. You don't look like orange rock monster, but it worked so damn well. I'm like, mm-hmm. I mean, he could do the pool noodle arms, but, you know. And by the way, when we were working on this, Eddie was talking about, why are there two Galactuses in there? Well, Eddie, because You'll if you see. look in the corner box, you also see he's got the Silver Surfer next to him, which I really, like that I loved. I saw that. Yep. And Dr. Doom can't be on there because I'm holding Doom's mask in my hand. I don't know if you noticed that. What? You didn't notice that? I did not. It's a neat little uh, thing. And, and it could be. It could be. Give, uh, give Rick a follow on social media. He is at Doomdazed, D-A-Z-E-D. Oh, see that? Another Doomcast vote. Good. Exactly. <laughs> Well, he's the one that did the art. I could have. Di- yeah, well, that's why I thought two two dooms. It's yeah, like a mountain. Two, n- not the silhouette. It's gonna be a mountain with eyes. No, I had a different had a different concept for that. But anyway, mm. like I said, please join us on this new fantastic voyage. And we realize, you know, some people are out there going to be, oh, you guys are selling out doing this. No, we selling well, out. Yeah, but whatever. We 
We want. We're not to getting be- paid to begin with. Now we have to pay people. We're selling out. What the <laughs> heck? I sold out Madison Square Garden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Shout out to Mick Foley. But <laughs> how much fantastic is this going to be? Oh, I don't know. But the other thing about this episode is we're also going to be including John Sherburn as our third mic on the show because I like the idea of, again, The Marvelous started out as generational. Eddie, as a fan of over 20 years as a comic book fan, you started like when you were... What, age or years sure. or what? How long you've been a Marvel fan for like about 40 years-ish, right? Something like that? Yes, yeah, something like mid... I save in mid-70s, yeah. I've been a fan for about 20 years. John's younger than both of us. John just turned 21. And one of my least regret or biggest regrets was he was not 21 when we went to New York City so I could take him to Barcade. And now Barcade is no longer a thing. John, look what you did. <laughs> Don't blame it on him. You got to go back another step and say his parents. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Sherburn, why what, did you do this? <laughs> what have you done? Okay. I could have taken him to a bar to play Tetris. You know, I never thought when my parents um, conceived me would be a topic of conversation on The Marvelous, but I'm happy to be here for this, and I'm happy that this is the way my life has gone. But I digress. Harry says to Peter, (laughs) Spider-Man, what have you done? I love the idea of having all of us talk about these characters. And again, it's also, we want to talk about a topic that we've done on the show before, but in long form, why the Fantastic Four matters. Because let's face it, the Fantastic Four as characters have been pushed to the side over the past 40-something years. They shouldn't be. They're Marvel's first family. They're the ones that are responsible for everything we love. So the first song is going to have to be uh, We Are Family, Eh, Sister Sledge. I hate that song. (laughs) (laughs) I hate that song. You want the theme to Family Ties? I'm... You know, I saw the DVD of that recently for a dollar on sale used. Uh Uh-huh. And? At the Read It Again bookstore. And I didn't either, buy it. You didn't? No. Why would I you, buy that? You resisted the temptation. Okay. Of buying a cheap Michael J. Fox sitcom. I, okay. It's been my dream. But anyway, please join us on the Fantastic Voyage. And John, insert in here the URL because I still have not set it up yet properly. Roll. All right. Listen close. This is tough. You can find us at patreon.com slash marvelists. And thank you, John. All right, so I think that's going to wrap this episode up for today. Once again, big thank you to Eddie for being behind the board today. Oh, you're welcome. I don't know if I've gotten that one before at all. Well, now you. Well, thank you for over a hundred plus episodes of you being behind the board, Eddie. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think that's quite it. But okay. Yeah, well, good enough. Forty something episodes behind the board, Eddie. Good job. Forty-four. Eh, Forty-two. The number of meaning of life. But according to who, Sheldon? According to Jim. Oh, according to Jim. For The Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior! Find us on Patreon.